Welcome to Women's Bible Study. We are so grateful you're here. We'd love for you to join us in worship. As we worship, I hope this verse blesses you. This is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Please join us.
Give us the desire, the power, and the will to do that which you've called us to do. That you would expand our faith, that you would breathe life into that which is dead in our hearts and our souls, that we become alive to your spirit. Breathe upon us now. Sing one more time. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of 
It's so good to see you guys. I'm so glad you can see me, because that's about what we have right now in our strange upside down world. I'm really um, so honored to be here to get to bring week six of our women's Bible study. It's been such a good study and the teaching has been great. And so I'm pleased. My name is Kathy. Um, if you don't know me, where have you been? No, I'm kidding. If you don't know me, I was on staff for a while. I'm since retired, and uh, I. But this is still my church, and I'm honored, as I said, to be a part of this ministry. So, be people who surrender, is today's theme. Now, years ago, my husband Bud decided to take up golf, and after about a year of playing, he decided I might like it. So he suggested I play. Well, since golf is outdoors, I love being outdoors, and the game of golf requires no running. So I thought I could try it. So I did. So Bud said he would teach me, coach me. Now somewhere in the back of my mind, there was a little warning, alarm that went off. But what could go wrong? Plenty. As, we, as I took up golf and Bud began to um, instruct and coach me, it was like he thought I was one of those people that actually listened to instruction. Um, and that started us on this path. And the other thing is when we played golf, he was always coaching or instructing me. So by the time we got through a round of golf, he was frustrated with m trying to teach me how to play golf. And I was just copping a bad attitude. By that time, it's like, leave me alone. And so golf, came rather than being this wonderful outlet for my husband and I, it became a burden to both of us. Well, one day, Bud announced to me that he had gotten me golf lessons. I thought, well, cool. So at my first golf lesson, I found out that my stance was wrong. I held the club wrong. My swing was wrong. And I didn't have a clue how to putt. It wasn't that Bud was such a bad instructor. It was that I never listened, <laughs> just so you know. But with my instructor, I paid attention. I listened to everything he said because I trusted that he knew what he was talking about and then he was going to help me be a better golfer. We're talking today about surrender. And I submit to you that our ability to surrender control of any aspect of our life directly relates to how much we trust the person to whom we're being asked to surrender, the person who is leading and guiding. I think you see where I'm going here. I trusted my instructor's knowledge of golf, apparently much more than I did my husband's. I really did want to be a better golfer. But trusting him meant that I listened and responded. If we don't think God is ultimately and always good, how can we ever 
surrender. Why would we? If you used the study guide this week, and I hope you did, it was, it's really good stuff, you discovered many different pictures of surrender. We'll only touch on a few today, but it's been my experience that there is no end to the daily opportunities we have to surrender. By definition, surrender means to cease resistance to an enemy, opponent, or person, and submit to their authority. Cease resistance, submit to their authority. In war, we know what surrender looks like. The loser has to surrender just for survival. In relationships, we know that surrender is difficult because we have to surrender our position or desire or argument. In our relationship with God, our ability or inability to surrender, again, makes all the difference, literally life or death. So let's look at some surrender lessons from Paul and his peeps from the book of Acts. The first is this. We are called to surrender our rights or being right. In Acts 15, verse 36 to 41, it says this. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now commentators have speculated on the reasons for Paul's adamant refusal to take John Mark and Barnabas's insistence that they do. All we really know is that John Mark started out the first of Paul's missionaries' journeys and left early into it. We also know that John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, and he apparently wanted to give him a second chance. So off they went. Barnabas wanted to give him another chance. Paul didn't. And ultimately, it does not matter who was right or wrong. The two men had different views and decided that they would go separate ways with new mission partners. That's what happened. The good news in this is that now there were two teams covering more territory, sharing with more people the good news about Jesus and the gospel. And typical of God's redemptive grace we find later in Paul's letters and later in the book of Acts that they were reconciled, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, where Paul talks about like, like my friend and co-worker Barnabas, and so they've reconnected. He several times in his letters to the churches talks about having John Mark, please send John Mark to me, or John Mark is with me. So John Mark joined him. Now the interesting thing is that when John Mark went back home, at some point, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. So he may not have been as suited to the difficult, difficult assignment that Paul had to go to the Gentiles 
and the, 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 the beatings, the suffering that they did, the lack that they suffered, maybe John Mark wasn't cut out for it. Whatever the reason, everything's speculation, whatever the reason, God took what they had, the desire to be right, but they surrendered that and just did, still followed the vision. They could do it because there's one goal, there's one vision, and that's the furthering of the gospel. It's the expansion of the kingdom of God. That was true then, and it's true today. It wasn't about who was right. It was about the gospel. Where is it for you that you get stuck on being right to the point that you can't even hear God trying to chime in? Do you know what your ultimate goal or purpose is? Do you know what God's called you to? And is that more important to you than your right to be right? A second in this area of being right, a second example we see of surrender, it's very dramatic, comes in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5, where it says, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their missionary journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Now, Timothy is a grown man. He's young, but he's a grown man who's highly thought of in his area in the Christian community. His mother and grandmother are renowned for their faithfulness. They're known to be faithful women of God. And Timothy is chosen to join Paul's team on this missionary journey. There's just this one little thing first, circumcision. What? Why? If you remember from last week, when Coley taught, she talked about how part of Paul's assignment, if you will, his calling on his missionary journey, was to go to the churches they'd already established and tell them about the decision that the church in Jerusalem had made regarding Gentiles having to be circumcised. Because prior to the gospel, prior to Christ's death and resurrection in the first church, if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they could, but they had to be circumcised. That was the mark of God's covenant with the Jewish people. So as people began to come to Christ, Jews began to come to Christ, it was fine. But when Gentiles did, then some of the Jews were like, wait a minute, they're not circumcised. And all of a sudden, this, this mark of the covenant from the Old Testament was being brought into the new covenant. And so the, the, the main church, the mothership, if you will, took on this, had discussions, and, and Coley talked about this this last week, and they decided, rightfully so, that circumcision was not required of Gentiles in order to be um, converted into Christianity. So now Paul is taking Timothy and says, no, you have to be circumcised. The reason is that Paul, part of his assignment, when he got to a town, a city, he would always, he was traveling from cities, city to city that had synagogues. 
because he would start at the synagogue. We see that every time. So he starts at a synagogue and he speaks to the Jews there. He's telling them about the Messiah, their Messiah that has come. This is usually the place where Paul gets in trouble. With the exception of Philippi, which you read about this week, Paul always starts with the synagogue. Well, as a, a man whose father was Greek and who therefore was not circumcised, Timothy would not have been able to go into any synagogue or any Jewish home if he were not circumcised. And so Timothy surrendering his right to not be, I mean his holy right, if you will, his theological right at this point, to not be circumcised, he surrendered that for the sake of the gospel because he was a partner of Paul's in this ministry and he wanted to do it. He gave up his personal rights in order to advance God's mission to the world. Even as I wrote this material, I was going to ask you, is there anything that you're clinging to as a right in a way that hinders God's work in and through you? So I was going to ask you that. And as I started to type it, I thought, I don't even know how I would answer this for me. And I realized that if I... I don't even know those places. And if I don't stop and prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to show me, I don't even know where I'm clinging to a right that is hindering God's work in my life and on the earth. So I pray, God, would you graciously show me where I'm getting in your way, getting in the way of your plans. And Lord, have mercy. Teach me to surrender. So the first way that we need to surrender is to our rights and being right. A second thing we learned from these verses this week is that we sometimes are called to surrender our own wisdom or plans. We read in Acts 16, verse 6 to 10. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia, Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, Phrygia, Galatia, Asia, Mysia, and Bithynia were all uh, districts in what today would be modern-day Turkey. So Paul, coming up um, along the coast of the Mediterranean, Israel, um, where he'd been before, because remember he's revisiting some of the churches, so it makes sense for he and his team to continue like, okay, we're going to go here and share the gospel. You see, his plans were not to do something outside of a good thing. He's talking about like sharing the gospel. So we're going to go here. And then the Holy Spirit stops him. No, I, I don't want you to go there. Oh, so instead of going east, they head north. And they get there and it's like, okay. And this is the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit says, no, not here either. Okay. So that night, Paul has a dream and a man from, he sees a man from Macedonia. Now that would be modern day Europe. 
So he couldn't go east, wasn't supposed to go north. And, he's, and the, the, in the vision, the man from Macedonia says, come. So they go kind of northeast, but head into Europe. So as I mentioned, Paul's pattern is to go to largest cities with known synagogues, and it made logistical sense in the revisiting to continue on that pattern. But God had something else. This can be a tough one for us sometimes, but are you willing to surrender your plans and dreams to God? Who has bigger things for you and me than we could ever imagine? It's less certain, it's often scary, but always best, always. Years ago, I had a friend who, she and her husband felt called to the mission field. And so that was their plan. They were so excited. They both like, that's how their heartbeat was for the mission field. Go to other places. And God planted them in Los Angeles and talk about chafing. I mean, it was like she was, we'd talk and she was so uncomfortable. She was just waiting for God to send her. And, and somehow God <clears throat> brought, brought her to a place where she read that, Los Angeles has something like 142 known languages being spoken and cultures that are represented in L.A. County, the mission field. So even when our desire has God, looks like it has God written all over it, are you willing to surrender what you think is best, what makes sense to you, when God says, I want you to go? A third area that we learn to surrender, and you've probably already experienced this, is that we sometimes are called to surrender to suffering. When Paul was in Philippi, you may, as, as you read, they were um, walking through the city and preaching, and there was a slave girl who uh, actually had a, um, an evil spirit, a spirit of divination, they call it. But she was going, um, walking around with them or following them and screaming out, listen to these men, they are men of God and they're going to tell you how to be saved. Um, so it seemed like she was doing a good thing, but it was so distracting. And after a couple of days, <laughs> Paul gets really irritated and so he just casts this evil spirit out of her. Well, the people who owned this slave girl were making a lot of money because she was a fortune teller. They were not happy with her deliverance, to say the least. And so they stirred up the city and the officials and all of that, and things got really dicey for Paul and his team. In Acts 16, verse 22 through 24, it says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Suffering comes in so many ways. Um, probably most of us have not been beaten, severely beaten publicly, or hopefully any other way. Many of us have not been in prison, especially solitary confinement, the deepest prison. But 
Have you suffered the loss of someone close to you? Or betrayal, physical or mental illness? Loneliness, depression? Sometimes our suffering is the result of our choices. Often it is not. It's just what it means to be human. How and why should we surrender to suffering? Surrender to pain? Because in those times, we are often closer to God than we can even imagine. Closer than when we think we're doing something we can fix or control. When we are at the end of our ability to control or fix, we are available to God if we will surrender to those circumstances. In this last year with the pandemic, COVID, there's so many friends who've contacted me and their spouse or a child or them, I mean, contracted the coronavirus and it was very scary. And so they say, please pray and did. And people checked in on them and prayed and we're all like, we were very tuned into God because there was nothing we could do to help our friend. My son-in-law contracted COVID when he had pneumonia. He was very sick already and then ended up in the hospital with it. Well, because of his depleted system from everything I knew of, he was a prime candidate to not survive. Very scary. I didn't just pray. I begged, I pleaded, I cried, I fasted. I made everybody I knew who knew the name of God pray with me. In suffering we often find ourselves at the perfect place to surrender and to be in intimate contact with God. Remember when Paul and Silas were in this prison in the deepest, darkest place, they were manacled. They'd been beaten, so they were already in pain. Instead of whining, about God, you called us here, what are you doing? They were singing and worshiping. They surrendered to the suffering for the sake of the gospel. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to meet us in our pain and to deliver deliver us as only he could and only he can. In Psalm 34, 18, the psalmist says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is very near us when we are brokenhearted. In Isaiah 61, 1, which is a a prophetic passage, messianic, if you will, it's talking about Jesus who would come as the Messiah. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. God is at work in your times of suffering as much, often more, than he is when you are not suffering. We can choose to surrender when we are in our deepest, darkest prison, if you will, Or we can resist and refuse to worship God and surrender 
to his loving, gracious hand. Because he's all we have, we just don't act like it's true. God is present. If you are suffering now, if you're going through a terrible time, whether it's personally, someone, whatever it might be, you need to know that God sees, he knows, and he has you. I'm not saying we all get glorious outcomes. I am saying that God knows what he's doing. He is always only good. And he loves you. How does an earthquake open manacles or stocks? God knows. And whatever you're facing, God knows. And he is at work. The fourth thing that we must surrender. Always we must surrender to the truth. Acts 17 verses 10 to 12 says this. That very night the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, who, if you remember from your lesson, were not good people. They got really mad at Paul and his group. So they were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. I so wish I was always as noble as the Bereans. I've always loved this passage of scripture. They loved God. Clearly they loved God and knew the scriptures even before Paul and his entourage showed up. Even before the good news of Jesus came to them. Knowing the truth is not about what you feel what you want, or what you hope. It's about what is true. Capital T, true. What does scripture say about sex outside of marriage? Not what does our society say, what does scripture say? What does scripture say about forgiveness? What does it say about generosity? What does it say about drunkenness? What does it say about loving your neighbors? Do you know what it says about that? Or do you carry some vague picture in your head? Well, that's kind of a suggestion. I, I've heard that before. Do you know what scripture says? Because if we ever want to be people who walk in sync with Jesus, we have to know the truth and surrender to it. Do you know what scripture says about God, about Jesus, about you? In John 1.14, it says, and the word became flesh, the word is referring to Jesus, became flesh and lived among us. <clears throat> and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Only Jesus could walk this perfect balance of absolute grace, loving people, accepting them where they are, and still cling to the truth. This is what's true. We in our culture are so, we get them all messed up. Like if you want to be gracious, you have to get rid of the truth. Or if you're really going to speak the truth, you can't be gracious. It's not true in the kingdom of God. But to do that, to walk with this balance of grace and truth, we have to walk with Jesus. And that means that we surrender to his truth and we know the truth. We choose to find out what is true. John eight thirty two says, you will know the truth 
and the truth will make you free. You can know the truth and it will bring you freedom, not restriction, not you can't do this, you can't do that. It will bring you freedom in your life to live as you were created to live. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth that ushers us right into the presence of God the Father. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is in us. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is in you. So we have this opportunity for truth every day in our life, if we will choose it. If we choose to surrender to God's Word, to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to be people who live in the truth. I was talking to a young man years ago. He had come to my office for counseling. And he was, um, there's a particular issue we were talking about. And so I was giving him my best wisdom. And, and he was a yabbit. He was one of those, uh, yabbit, yabbit, yabbit kind of thing. And so I finally said, well, why don't you go read these passages of scripture, just read them. Write down a couple notes, and when you come back, let's talk about it, just like this. A couple weeks later, whatever it was, he came back and sat down in my office, and he looked at me. And he, he looked pale, actually, and he just goes, Kath, God hates what I'm doing. God hates what I'm doing. You see, the Holy Spirit, through scripture, spoke truth to this, and, and to his great credit, he heard it and acted on it. You have to know the truth in order to surrender to it. It doesn't matter what you feel about the truth, what you think should be true of God, Jesus, the church, your husband, your wife, your kids, society, culture, politics. It does not matter what you think should be true. We are not set free by what we think. We are set free by the truth of God when we surrender to it. So just in closing, surrender in so many ways is against our human nature. We are so self-centered, self-protective, self-indulgent, all the selves you know. In battle, you surrender for the sake of survival. Winning is no longer an option. So you surrender to save your own life. It's probably a good picture for us. We can and will never win our life outside of surrender to the one who loves us. Now you can get the immediate thing you want if you refuse to surrender. You can get that thing, but it will never give you life. It'll never complete you. It will never multiply goodness in you whether it's our rights, our self-conceived plans, suffering, or leaning into the truth, surrender is our salvation and the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's not just about us. It's about, it's about God's purposes in the earth. In battle, surrender is considered defeat. In Christ, surrender is is the ultimate victory. I want to pray, and as I do, I want, I want you to pause with me and just ask God, even, I'll be talking over because I'll pray, but 
would you just ask God, would you just surrender? Say, God, I don't even know how to surrender this thing or this person or in general, God, but I'm open. I'm open at this moment to surrender to all that you would have for me. Pray with me. Loving Father, precious Savior, amazing Holy Spirit, we pause and invite you. It's so weird, Lord, because we're not in the same room, but you're not bound by that. So, Lord, we do pause, but every person, I don't care what day it is, I don't care what time it is, every person now who is pausing, even, in Lord, if they only have questions, would you meet them? Would you meet each of us, Lord, where we are, with your grace and your truth? Holy Spirit, would you gather in people who are suffering? Would you speak to hearts that are frightened? Would you quiet minds that are in chaos? Quiet us, Lord, before you so that we may open our hearts, our hands, and our minds to you. We choose today, as best we know how in our humanity, I choose surrender. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. I'm praying for you.